Welcome to Tales from the Rec Room, where a legacy builds, and then you get accepted into ABA. I am your host, Perth Amboy Walmart Manager, Bree Rohde, and who is with me on the line today? Hi, I'm Rachel, Rachel Kellogg. Um, on social media, you can find me at RachelGBK. And uh, I'm a former dancer, and right now I'm mostly a mom, because um, I'm on mat leave with my seven-week-old son, Elijah. Um, Elijah, who so far I have to say has absolutely mastered my favorite face, which is baby stink eye. Um, he's got really good stink eye and like side eye. Yeah. yeah. Like, like he just, he'll just stare you down. Cause before they're all smiles, that is literally all babies do, but I will literally never get sick of that face. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Rachel, you are on the show because like, you, this is a bit of a long time, first time thing because it feels like you have been on the show before, but it's because you are the better half of uh, friend of the show, Mike Stevens. Um, and I, I will say you're you're much more than a friend of the show. Um, so I've been really excited to have you on for the second season of this show in this new format, which, as I mentioned last week, it's a bit looser. We can focus on a single movie, and that single movie today is Center Stage. Uh, you said former dancer. I will point out that you have been continuing to dance as an adult, which I think is fantastic because I think you're never too old to dance and dance is such an important part of like how we socialize and like how we how we bond with one another it's definitely how we became closer so um yeah it's always important to keep dance in your life that is true i'm not a former dancer i'm a dancer that's exactly mm-hmm. what i would say to someone saying that as well Bree. um i grew up doing ballet tap jazz competitively hip-hop which i was a disaster at hip-hop um, i mean hard I'm, I'm a, yeah Ooh, I am a bunhead. I was also a disaster at Acro, unlike you. I, I just could not do upside down. Uh, but tap is really what I stuck with. I uh, I get together with uh, the folks that I've tapped with for over 20 years. And I'm excited to pick that up in September now that I've had the baby. Yes. Um, and center stage was a major part of my adolescence. So I am so excited to talk about it. And I definitely jumped up and down when you invited me to come on and talk about it. I know. Like, I think about a couple hours later, I got a text from Mike just saying, you made Rachel's day. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Um, yeah, like, so for me, Center Stage actually came out before I started dancing, because those of you who know my origin story know that I was actually a very late starter to dance. I started around age 11, 12, which was right when puberty was kicking my ass. It's so hard to start as a dancer uh, post or mid puberty, because your hips are just like, hey, we want to grow. Fuck yeah. you. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, but this this was definitely we'll totally get into this. But this movie absolutely made me want to take ballet it also made me want to become like an old school jazz dancer which for the most part i am i am very much an old school jazz dancer i had no idea that center stage was what got you into dance that makes me so happy um you're absolutely right when i turned 13 i had been dancing for nine years and i remember like grade eight like the year of dancing grade eight which is also the year i started competition I felt like I was just starting out. Like I had this new body and like, there was also this, the stuff where like they'd measure you for your costumes in January and bring them in May and they didn't fit. Cause like, you know, everything about your body had changed, Yeah, um, which was just mortifying. <laughs> Being 13 is horrible. Um, so, but I watched this movie when I was 13. So it was a bit of a lifeline. Um, so uh, yeah, I had no idea this movie got you to dance. That makes me so happy. And yeah, old school jazz, like, why, why do anything else? Why do we do anything other than old school jazz? That is all we should be doing with our time. Honestly, it's so fun. Absolutely. And like the kids I teach now, so I currently teach at the wonderful Lisa Naves Dance Company in Simcoe, Ontario. And um, our competition team, like the, the kids just wow me. My jaw's on the floor every time I see them. Um, you know, especially like I am an acrobat, but I'm not a tumbler. And the tumbling that these people do, like we've got kids who can do like a full layout 
before high school. And that is phenomenal to me. I'm in such awe of it. But at the same time, I'm like, you guys do not know just how much fun and how much of a challenge it is to end a jazz class like they do in this movie with just like pirouette, inward pirouette, pirouette, inward pirouette. And just it's it's that simple style. It's also why I really like, although you don't see it in this movie, why I love Fosse jazz so much. And I'm like, the kids today don't understand this. <laughs> I'm a big Fosse girl, so we could have a whole other episode about Fosse because uh, oh, I was a Fosse nerd from childhood. All that jazz. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So now before we go forward, uh, Tales from the Rec Room has uh, one important tradition, plugs up front. Now, you did actually say where we can find you on social media, but you also have been blogging for quite a few years. Can you tell us about uh, your various endeavors? Yeah, thanks. Yes, you can find me at Rachel GPK on on the socials, um, mostly Instagram and Twitter. I just joined to be real. I it, I'm it's 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 okay. I'm too old for it, but it's okay. Uh, and uh, TikTok overwhelms me, so I'm not there very often. Um, I have a website, RachelGBK.com, where I've I've had that website for a decade, where I have been blogging about all sorts of things. I'm going to be shifting that to a newsletter, which I'm really excited about. So by the time this comes out, my newsletter will be live. So that'll be rachelgbk.substack.com. But if you go to rachelgbk.com, you'll be able to find the newsletter. I'll make sure that that's all easy peasy. Um, and yeah, I like to write. I have an English degree. I have a writing background. Um, I've worked in communications and writing is something that I just kind of it, it sort of comes upon me when I when I'm feeling like I have some creative energy. Um, and I'm feeling like what I'm going to be writing about in the newsletter is there's going to be some parenting because that's definitely top of mind right now in my life. Um, and I have just some thoughts about parenting and diet culture, which is like a really hot topic with millennial moms. And th there's just some things that um, that I think we could talk a little bit more about or poke some holes in. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts for World Breastfeeding Week, which is in August that I'm going to be writing a lot about, about breastfeeding and breastfeeding and diet culture. There's stuff there, people. Let's unpack it. <laughs> um, and and I like to write book reviews. I, I'm a big reader, mostly an audiobook person right now. So I'll be putting putting in some, some book recommendations. Um, I think I'm going to do some clothes stuff too. Clothes are a really big deal when you have a baby and then you and then, you know, you're pregnant and nothing fits. And then you've had the baby and nothing fits. And uh, so I've I've been really into just like finding clothes that are really comfy and great. Actually, a really quick plug. I am currently wearing uh, Nick's high-waisted leggings. And I did a, a yoga class this morning in these leggings. And um, yeah, I'm never wearing anything else. They are amazing. <laughs> they go right up over the the, the C-section pooch and all of that. So can't recommend them enough. So there's another plug for, for Nick's. Um, yeah, so, so rachelgbk.com, you'll be able to find all the stuff there. The newsletter will uh, have all sorts of interesting stuff that I, 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 I'm going to call it... Um, another millennial newsletter. So we do love know, our newsletters. We, we love our newsletters. Do. We love our podcasts. And uh, so things that are relevant to millennials, probably, you know, urban millennial women and uh, probably millennial parents as well. But, mm -hmm. you know, there'll be something for everyone in there. So first off, speaking of clothes, I have, I don't know if I ever told you this, but you 100% influenced my best clothing purchase, which is the Encircled Dressy Sweatpant. Um, oh. And not only did that influence me, that influenced several other teachers at the studio because last week was tech week. It was rehearsal week. We were all over the place and running around and everyone's like, 
are those dress pants or not? I'm like, uh, <laughs> let me tell you. And uh, yeah, big, uh, big fan of those. But also you mentioned parenting and I forgot, totally forgot that in this new season of your life, you find yourself in the role of being a quote unquote dance mom. Um, although I think most of the dance parent dance parent content I get from you comes from uh, comes from Mike. But um, your older son uh, just loves his dance classes. And fun fact, listeners, his dance teacher was my student uh, about six or seven years ago. So uh, yeah, that's that must be a whole different perspective on having a child in dance after being a dancer yourself. It, it's been a really incredible experience for the whole family. Um, I, I wanted Gabe to start ballet just to see if he liked it. I cannot deny I hope he likes it, but I will not be a Maureen's mom about this. I have <laughs> my goal in life to not be Maureen's mom. Um, but, uh, you know, when they're, when they're little, you try them out in different things. And he has taken to ballet so well, pre-ballet. He loves it so much. He loves his teacher who was, as you said, a former student of yours. So well done, Brie. Um, and honestly, the main dance mom in our family is Mike. Um, yeah. Mike's been the person taking him to ballet, figuring out all the logistics uh, getting to know the other dance moms there, um, figuring out the costume stuff. Mike has a theater background. His his degree is in theater. So he really understands like, you know, the backstage etiquette, performing arts, the importance of the costume, all of that. And he has a sports background and dance is the intersection of sports and art and performing art, as we know. So Mike could not be more perfect to be uh, the dance mom of our family. Um, so we had recital uh, about two weeks ago now, and it was a really incredible experience, honestly, Studios have come a long way since my day. Like it was very professionally done. Um, I was impressed. You know, this is a big studio. They did four recitals. So the little kids had a 1.30 p.m. on a Saturday, which is excellent yeah. timing for us. There were some seniors who danced in the recital. I think the seniors who danced in it are the people who were helping backstage or helping on stage. And it was like, oh, you're here. Do your solo. So it was a joy mm -hmm. to see some really, really skilled solos um, from the teenagers, from the, the senior students there. And what I loved is they, you know, there wasn't sort of this parent cloud that I grew up in, in the dance world. I grew up with, you know, a hundred dance moms backstage, all fussing with you. Um, everything was sort of parent and volunteer done. And that's, that was not the case. And with, it sounds like that's not the case at a lot of studios now. It was, you know, the, the child is signed in backstage. They take them backstage. They take care of the children backstage. And the parents aren't coming and going backstage, which is a much less disruptive experience, I think, for the parents and the kids. It means that people aren't coming and going from the theater. And uh, and the show was like an hour long. So, you know, when I grew up, it was there was a, a very long um, recital that just got longer and longer and longer as the studio yes. got longer. That was a lot for the little kids. They'd have the little kids go first, but people were coming and going all the time. People were coming and going backstage. Um, it just it was I, I, I remember it being very chaotic and I, I loved the chaos of it. Don't get me wrong. But um, and I was not backstage at all this time. I didn't even drop off Gabe. I was I was focused on Eli. Eli was also at the show. Um, he was a dream. He slept the whole time. Um, he just sat there with the little theater binoculars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just scrutinizing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Gabe did an amazing performance. It was uh, it was You Got a Friend in Me, which totally threw us for a loop because we thought it was a different song until we got the program. Yeah. But it was it was You Got a Friend in Me. He did a great job. His costume was a little blue sparkly vest and dress pants, and uh, and we've signed him up for for ballet next year. And you know we're t we're tempted to start something like Acro, but honestly, he he's not even four yet. We're yeah. gonna just you know one year at a time. Um, next year's kindergarten and ballet, and he'll also have swimming, and that is more than enough for a child. Yeah. So yeah, these are the things that we juggle as we as we look at the extracurriculars. But it's very exciting that we have that we have ballet in our family and it's at so, a wonderful studio. Yeah. So in my experience, my per uh, 
quote-unquote professional perspective, being a certified jazz as well as acro teacher, is we start acro at five in our studio. But um, I have found this year, because I taught both the five-year-olds and the six-year-olds, the ones who start at six are just as strong as the one who st- ones who start at five, because some of them just have weak little arms. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're so... They're so cute and weak. Like, I, um, I mean, I was older than Gabe when I started ballet at a, at a community center really casually, yeah. and I got really into it. So I know there's no rush with this stuff, and we'll just we'll just let him, yeah. you know, kind of kind of follow what he wants to do. But he's really excited to start ballet again in September already. So, so that's cute. that's a dream. Yeah. So with center stage, um, so as uh, as people know, the new gimmick of Tales from the Rec Room is one or both of the hosts has to have seen this first via physical, traditional media. We're, I'm not saying we're an anti-streaming podcast, but we're just, we're talking about the importance of the physical media experience. So did you see center stage within the first year that it came out or kind of afterward? It was shortly after it was released to video. So I remember seeing the trailer and being really excited. And then I don't think I ever saw it in theaters. I think I was dancing so much at that age that I basically wasn't going to the movies. I was going to school and dancing and doing homework. That was my childhood and adolescence. Um, But my first memory of seeing Center Stage is at my dance friend, well, actually school friend, but she was the other, she was the other dance girl in my grade. (laughs) And her name is Jody, which okay, was perfect. Yeah. So Jody, who, um, hi Jody, if you're listening, I will send you this episode because I'm mentioning you in it. Um, so Jody, I went to her house in grade seven and she put on center stage and she was like, we have to watch this together. This movie speaks to my soul. And it's amazing because Jody was a competitive Highland dancer. She was a world champion Highland Ooh, dancer. I've done and Highland. I freaking love it. It gives amazing. you So I took Highland in university because I didn't have an advanced ballet class available to me, but I did have Highland. One of the biggest differences, because there's there's a lot of similarities. Biggest difference is you're not supposed to put your heels down in sautés. And so you get monster calves. I looked yeah, incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that would abs. When I I would I would go to some of Jody's shows and she performed at our school a few times and I noticed the sautés and I was like, yeah. oh my bum ankles and shin splints would not. Uh, would not with that type of jumping. Oh just my like, god! How do you do that? Yeah, you just yeah. <laughs> practice like with anything else. So yeah, Jody was Jody's a world champion Highland dancer, and I was you know ballet tap jazz. Neither of us were you know that national like the equivalent of center stage in Toronto is your national ballet kid, and you go to the National mm-hmm. Ballet of Canada. We weren't that ballerina, but this movie just spoke to us. We felt so seen. We're like, yes, this is our life. Dance is life and dance is hard, but we love it. And, you know, I joke with my friends and we'll get into it that center stage is actually just a documentary about what it's like to be a dancer, everything and it actually happens when you're a dancer. So that's mm-hmm. when I first saw center stage. It was at Jody's house. You know, she loved that the main character was named Jody. And at the time she was literally watching it every day that she didn't have dance class. So she and I watched it. Um, we learned every dance in it. And then me and my other me and my dance studio friends we'd hang out a lot in the summer um and we'd like you know we I grew up in the east end of Toronto where there's the the beaches and we'd go down to the beaches and we'd like make up dances on the grass there and do cartwheels and whatever on the grass because we were kids who were dance kids with the summers off um we learned we would have like sleepovers and we learned every single dance in center stage every single one higher ground the way you make me feel the swan lake pas de quatre which like is the hardest thing in the world and we weren't even doing it on point. Um, we just would watch all these dances and learn them. So yeah, so I grew up and I and I think I think it was a VHS because it was grade seven. So like my family got our first DVD player in grade six. 
Hmm. Grade five or grade six. So we had this kind of period of a long time, actually, where we were buying both VHS and DVD, depending mm-hmm. on what was cheaper, depending. And DVDs were very expensive at the time. They were. No one talks about that. <laughs> yeah, they were. The, I mean, this is a separate episode, but the first DVD that we bought was the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. And we bought the DVD player for the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. Um, That's so, very I, on I, brand for you. Yes, yes. So, uh, so... I think it was a VHS and it just, you know, reflecting on this made me think about, yeah, there was this time where we were buying VHS and DVD for like, for like a while. And that happens every time uh, a a media changes, right? Like Mm -hmm. you buy cassettes and DVDs at the same time for a while, you buy records and cassettes at the same time for a while. And then, and then the older medium phases, uh, phases out. So yeah, so that's my first experience of watching Center Stage, but I don't think I saw it in theaters. I definitely did not see it in theaters as well. In fact, I don't think I was aware of its existence when it was in theaters. Um, So a, Part of the reason why I was a late starter to dance was, I mean, partly because I was an obnoxious little tomboy when I was a child. And um, I actually grew up in a town that did not have a dance studio. And in fact, we couldn't even have a decent figure skating program at our local arena because we did not have ballet teachers in town. So none, like... Most of growing up in the 90s, there was like this expectation that every little girl takes at least a year or so of ballet. Um, That wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Um... And so I thought, like, when I was, like, 11 years old when this came out, I was like, dance is stupid. Ballet's stupid. And then um, when I, had, you know, just started at my new school, and the one girl who was nice to me was a dancer. Um, and she and I actually ended up being roommates in university as well, my friend Jen. Um, so we – and by the time we hit university, I was the one who had stayed in dance, and she had given it up a long time ago. And I was like, oh, take a ballet class with me. Take... And that was like a fun thing we did together was she got back into ballet with me. But so she had recommended Center Stage because she's like, oh, even if you don't like dance, even if you don't like it, like, you'll enjoy it. Like, you know, the characters are really cool. It's really funny. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, wow. And I think at the time, I had just signed up for recreational hip hop, mostly just to kind of tag along with my sister. My sister ended up not liking dance, but I stayed in it because it's like, oh, this is something where I'm not going to be compared to my sister for once, which was nice because we were both musicians and we just constantly got compared to each other. Um, But watching Center Stage and kind of being at the very beginning of my dance journey and realizing, oh, I want to take this seriously. I really want to take this seriously. Um, I think I first watched it on VHS. I feel pretty confident saying that, but I also sought out the DVD once it became a cheaper rental because I wanted to watch like the behind the scenes features. I wanted to hear the DVD commentary. I wanted to learn about the actors and their dance dance backgrounds um, because I thought it was, again, we'll get into this later, but I think this is one of the best filming of dance doubles and covering for actors who aren't fully trained dancers that I've ever seen. Um, and I've only appreciated it more as I've gotten older and gotten better trained in dancing. So um, that said, you know, this was something you had with, you know, your friends or one good friend that you enjoyed. I was so private in my love of this movie. I don't even think my parents knew how much this movie meant to me. Like when I kind of got it like bargain bin DVD, it was like a treasure that I kept to myself because I was so like... I was almost ashamed of my love of this movie because also I was old enough to know that this was a very cheesy movie. And so I was like, I can't let people know that I'm into this ballet movie that is so dorky. Um, And yet I too, like I was trying so hard to memorize every day and like picture little me who's never even done a single pirouette trying to do 32 fuetes in her basement. It was a real scene, but oh man, I was addicted to this movie. 
Um, so another important question I love to ask, because we always talk about the experience of watching this, it, whether it was at home in your own basement with your friends, what were your go-to kind of movie snacks during this era? Yeah, if it was if it was a sleepover with the dance folks, it would have been pizza and candy because we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure there were eating disorders at my studio, but the studio culture was really great about like, we ate together, like we danced a lot together and we were really hungry from dancing and we ate together. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of body comparison talk because we were teenage girls and that's what we were socialized to do. Um, but there wasn't a lot of like, we never, we never like shamed each other from what I remember. Um, I certainly hope that didn't happen. And the teachers, you know, there, there weren't those comments from the teachers. We didn't have the the Emily experience in center stage if someone asked, as far as I know, as, as, uh, someone asked to not be in the studio. So I, I remember pizza and candy, um, and my, and, you know, it would have been, uh, like popcorn and M&Ms and my favorite movie snacks now are the same. It's like popcorn and M&Ms and yeah. pizza if it's if it's dinner with a movie. Yeah. I was thinking about this because this was also around the era that I first watched 10 Things I Hate About You, which was last week's episode. And I realized shortly after that, I think it was around here, around when I first moved to Timmins, Ontario, uh, kind of beginning tween years that I first discovered how much I love the absolutely deadly combination of unbuttered popcorn which i still even before i gave up dairy i liked my popcorn unbuttered i know that's fucked up and diet pepsi or diet coke you need like a mouthful of popcorn and mouthful of diet coke it is fucking obscene but it works you feel the popcorn like melting in your mouth it was incredible <laughs> i mean that makes sense because that's if, if you're a diet coke person at the movie theater i, mm-hmm. I guess but the popcorn's very buttered at the movie theater so it's a little it's bit very different. Well, it's it's not real butter at the movie theater because real butter is too expensive, but it's also yeah. really, really overly salted at the movie theater, which I yes. love. And so you can just yes. feel it crackling in your mouth like Pop Rocks. Um, I thought it's it's one of those things that you think you're a huge freak and then you learn through like the internet and stuff that everyone did. Um, so yeah, I think this was my popcorn and Diet Coke era. Um, okay, so contextualizing this era, and this was much harder to do than 10 Things I Hate About You. So this movie was directed by Nicholas Heitner, who was more of a theater director. He was an Englishman, which uh, as it turns out is relevant to some points down the road. Looking at his actual filmography, everything about this dude screams director for hire. Um, And what I find, so like, as we discovered in our 10 Things I Hate About You episode, 1999 was the absolute explosion of teen movies and high school movies for a few different reasons. But this is kind of a subgenre I will call the Elite Academy movie. Um, and you saw it in TV shows as well, following teens in these highly specific environments where everyone is super talented and that's a backdrop for all their drama. So it's like, hey, you know, kids, what if we took the high school setting that you love watching, but also everyone here is ridiculously talented? And um, like that hasn't been a thing for a while. Like not since fame, which was a TV show. Like that was the last truly well-known one every couple years. Like they came along and tried another, whether it was like honey, I think is an okay example. That's not really high school. That's young adults. Um, there's the God awful Hillary Duff movie, raise your voice, which is actually one of my favorite hate watches. Um, but yeah, like the Elite Academy movie, I think is more common in sports movies really than, than arts movies. Yeah, um, when I forced Mike to watch Center Stage early in our relationship, which would have been over a decade ago, um, he was on board because he's always on board to watch. We've talked about this literally anything, literally yeah. any anything, any show, movie, play, whatever. Um, so I forced him to watch this because in order to know me, you have to know Center Stage, and he went, "This is a sports movie," and it totally is a sports movie. Um, you get the team together. 
Some people get cut. Only some people can get through. You have the big game at the end. And, you know, Mike also has a, has a theory of, of every movie is a sports movie, right? Like, uh, uh. well, someone hit, I think it was Taylor J. Williams hit on the fact that one of my favorite uh, TV shows, uh, The Queen's Gambit, it basically has the beats of a sports movie. Totally. I'm sorry. I only made it through the first episode of The Queen's Gambit, but I completely see that having only watched the first episode of, of You can it. understand why I might be really into The Queen's Gambit. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Um, yeah, but, but Center Stage is totally a sports movie. It makes me think of Bring It On, which is a sports movie, but cheerleading is also dance. Uh, so that's like a nice crossover there. It makes me think of like Drumline, you know, elite the elite academy thing um mm. it even makes me think of remember the titans which mike and i actually just really recently watched um which is a fantastic movie to watch it obviously has some problems but it's it's a really really it, it holds up in a lot of ways denzel is just so amazing um obviously remember the titans is a sports movie obviously remember the titans is a very different movie from center stage with a very different message and plot but the way the bones of the story and the way that it's constructed and the way that football is used and the way that ballet is used are very, very similar. Um, if you watch a sports movie, you're going to have a sports moment almost as often as you have a dance moment in center stage. Yep. Uh, so it's very cool to to look at it through that lens. I think also like what I find about the, because it is the beats of a sports movie. And the only thing I find maybe a little unfair, but at the same time, at least it makes, you know, dancers like us feel like this is our special thing. Um with us, with these elite academy type movies, there are certain things that if they are well done, elements of it that will appeal only to the demographic that actually engage in these things. Like Bring It On is universally funny. I did cheer for half a year, so I don't count that. But like I've seen reviews or pod like um, uh, This Ends at Prom, wonderful podcast with uh, Harmony and BJ Colangelo. And BJ was, um, I don't think a cheerleader, but a competitive baton twirler. So very, and like competitive baton twirling is one of the most intense things. It's pretty much rhythmic gymnastics, although I'm sure a baton twirler would yell at me for saying that. But like same idea of we have to do this crazy acrobatic stuff and oh, here's a fucking prop. Um, I but, did a little bit of it as a kid and it was so hard. <laughs> It's so much more intense than people think it is. They picture like a little girl twirling a baton down the street. Like, no, you have to throw and catch a thing while you also do another thing. It's like, it's impossible. As well. I mean, people do yeah. it, but it's impossible. But so like uh, BJ was saying that like, bring it on. There are a lot of things that really like, if you are not part of the cheer world, you might think like, oh, this is exaggerated or whatever. It's like, no, this is very real. And there are certain things with center stage. Like my husband has asked me like, would this really happen? I'm like, well, I've never been a full-time elite ballet student, but yes, this absolutely has happened to my friends. Um, so it's almost a creative risk when you're putting out a movie like that because you think, oh, this might only really take off with people who have engaged in this. And what I find, this is where the unfairness comes in, is you don't have to be a football player to understand the universal messages and remember the Titans. But there are a lot of like very... Um, like universally applicable things in something like Center Stage that do cross outside of that ballet world. Now, like Bring It On, I think is a bit of an outlier because a lot of people who weren't in cheer love Bring It On. Um, and that's because I think it really well communicated those aspects that are beyond cheer because it's a movie very ahead of its time. It's about cultural appropriation. It is about privilege. It's about like white savior complexes. But um, so actually, this is a fun segue because I, uh, I love a rabbit hole. That's why I became a journalist. Um, so I looked into popular dance movies over time, what they've grossed, uh, what they've delivered on commercially. So The Red Shoes, 
grossed um, five million in 1948, which was a record for a UK made film. Uh, lots of UK uh, connections I found. Like for some reason, people in Britain seem to be far have far more affinity for dance movies and dance content. So that's the equivalent to 68 million today, which would be considered pretty good, uh, especially if you say like aren't a Marvel movie at the box office. Um, and I had no idea until I looked this up, but Fame actually really struggled with American audiences. The summer of its debut, it was 60th out of 77 regular summer programs in the U.S. But again, it was top 10 in England. Like, I, I got to ask, my, my husband is my England market research. I got to ask, like, why do, your, why do your people just love dancing? They, they love sci-fi and dancing. Um, do they like watching movies because dance movies because they can't dance at all? Like, they are the like, culture that just can't. RRR has a great. The, the dance segment of RRR, the lead up to it, is a great, yeah. great joke on, on how English people can't dance. They don't have a dance. I'm going to get lambasted oh, for this. That's um, okay. If anyone, that's if, my anyone, guess. if anyone from LNDC is listening to this, which first of all, sorry about all the F-bombs. Secondly, um, yes, I do acknowledge that the RAD came from England. You're talking to two Chiquetti Rays dancers here. You were Chiquetti, right? No, I'm RAD. Oh, there you go. So I'm they, RAD. They, I went up to uh, Intermediate Foundation RAD. Yeah. Okay. So the British did something right with ballet. Yes, exactly. Um, the Brit- I, I, I learned, I learned yeah. through the British system of ballet. So I guess they know something about dance. I love the RAD system personally. Like as someone who grew up Chiquetti and now that I've subbed, like especially at the primary level and pre-primary, the way it like teaches through play, it's so pedagogical. I love it. Um, so... Here's where I, I was really excited to find this. One of your faves, Dirty Dancing, earned $170 million, uh, which in 2023 dollars, $391 million today. So that is to say movies and TV shows about dance tend to be a mixed bag. They do well with specific audiences, but Dirty Dancing is probably the only one which majorly broke that barrier, again, because it's very much not just about dance. It's such a character-driven movie. So um, all that is to say movies about dance kind of a crapshoot. So I started looking at the stats for growth of dance and competitive dance, and it was really difficult to actually find solid statistics on the growth of both. So here's what I have been able to put together. Um, Wildly different figures here. As of 2020, according to uh, Studio Director, there were 54,600 dance studios registered in the United States. Uh, This may have reduced slightly since COVID. Um, IBIS World has a crazy different figure at um, just over 80,000 in 2020 and 94,000 in 2023. So I I can't explain that discrepancy. Um, The market size for dance studio industry has, um, it grew by a per annum rate of 3% between 2015 and 2020. According to studio director, IBIS World puts the growth rate at 4.3%. So um, an interesting thing I also found in the professional world while going down this rabbit hole is that uh, we are we were reaching equity with the number of employed male dancers versus female dancers, but that shot way down after COVID hit. Now it's about 35-65, male to female. Um, it also is essentially at parity in terms of pay, which is good, except that professional dancers make very, very little. So I'm, I don't like discussing gender parity when it's a notoriously underpaid profession. Um, and as of 2021, Statistia estimates that around 24.75 million people in the U.S. are enrolled in dance or some sort of, I think they identified it as, organized choreographic activity, but that data only goes back as recently as 2014. So I'm left with my own anecdotal hypothesis. Maybe you can back this up as both a former dance or former uh, youth dancer, now mom of a dance of a budding young dancer. Um, I feel like with So You Think and Dance Moms, like competitive dance is bigger than ever. Certainly I can attest to that. Um, And there's 
higher expectations on competitive dancers. There's a lot more dance competitions, including a lot of cheap and cheerful comps. You see a lot more intense training at young ages. Like I said, I've got, you know, 12 year olds who are doing tumbling lines that I could never imagine doing even at my peak of training. Um, but what I've seen myself, I find is a bit of a decline in recreational dance. And this idea that like when I was growing up of, oh, every little girl uh, does ballet and that there was that expectation that all little girls did ballet or tap dancing and not necessarily because they wanted to be a competitive or professional. I find that's thinned out. So like this movie is more a product of that era where it's like ballet is something you can all identify with, but you've never seen it like this. Totally. Um, it's really interesting. I, I don't, I don't know at a cursory level about, you know, how much sort of recreational ballet for kids there is. I definitely started in recreational ballet for kids. I started at a community center and then I was in a church basement before I ended up at the studio. Um, so whereas with Gabe, we're just at the studio. What I will say is the people in Gabe's class are all girls because parents are still, you know, very gendered with what they have their children doing. Um, that sounded really judgmental, probably because it was. But uh, <laughs> I'm just like, I bet more boys would love ballet if, if people would put their boys in ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gabe's the only boy in the class. Uh, and you can you can tell that with, I think, every single girl who was in his class this year it was something that you know mom was just like let's let's enroll her in something just for a year like very much a casual thing so there there is a casual drop in every little girl should should do ballet or every little girl is trying ballet or it's just something to do um there is definitely like a casual element to it but we are at an elite studio there is an elite competition troupe at the studio so and I didn't look into it, but I don't even know if there's a church basement ballet drop-in. After COVID, probably not. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, you know, communities, I know there's no dance at community centers anymore, right? There's mm-hmm. there's almost nothing at our local community center. That's that's a lack of public funding and an erosion of, of you know, publicly subsidized services. So um, yeah, so it's it's a little bit of both. It's like we're at this super competitive studio but there is the, you know, there is the kind of people in the neighborhood are taking their daughters to ballet just to try for a year or two. Mm-hmm. There's def- That's definitely probably like almost all of the people who are doing pre-ballet. Um, that's that's kind of the, the focus, which I think is a good thing as well, because we don't want to come at our children and be like, you must be a dancer. You are too. Get into it. And, you know, I'm not even going to listen to what you have to say about it. Um, having said that, I'm delighted that Gabe likes it. I'm delighted that he's trying it. And like, it's... But that's the important part is liking it. And that's, you know, what a huge aspect of this movie is about is like you can have all you you have to actually like it. Like uh, for me, I teach mainly recreational like I sub for our comp kids once in a while. But I my heart because I started as a recreational dancer, my heart is there. And like we have a great recreational program um, and like the oldest kids I usually I work with on a regular basis are 11 and 12, which is the age I was when I started. And I 
I love my girls. My goal as a recreational teacher is to teach a class where they can excel without having to take five other classes a week. Because I've been at studios where it's like, oh, you want to be a better jazz dancer? You have to take ballet. Oh, you want to be better ja at jazz? You have to take acro. And my belief has always been, no, and these rec kids, if they come back every year, they're going to pay your bills. And so I am very happy to be at a studio that values its recreational dancers that much. That said, this is the first studio I've been at in 16 years of teaching that values its recreational kids that way. And also it's just, it's just fewer kids than doing the rec thing than when I was a kid. Um, because well, actually, no, my second studio, there were like no rec teens. Like we have a lot of rec teens now, which is great. But um, so also bringing it back to last week's episode on 10 Things I Hate About You, um, we talked about like the high school movie explosion of 1999-2000, which was driven largely by the projection actually of DVD player sales because it's like these movies are cheaper to make. And because they, uh, you know, they might not recoup all costs at the box office or, you know, double their budget at the box office, but they are going to really kill on home video. So like I find it really starts with Scream. And then you get Can't Hardly Wait. But 90, 1999, we've got Varsity Blues, She's All That, Cruel Intentions, Never Been Kissed, Election, American Pie, and then into 2000, we've got Bring It On. So I think like this was kind of the perfect back... There was no better backdrop against which to launch this movie. Um, and I don't think anyone thought it was going to be a major blockbuster akin to um, An American Pie or A Never Been Kissed. But... It's hard for me to picture a context in which this movie ever succeeds. I don't think, like, teen movies are a risk. The Elite Academy movie is a risk. There's a lot of ballet in this movie. That's why I love it. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you have a bit of dialogue, and then you have long dance sequences. We are, like, seven minutes in when they're at the gala, and you've got Romeo and Juliet. You've got um, Swan Lake. You've got classical ballet maximum 10 minutes into the movie we are showing you that this is a movie that you get you get a lot of dancing in so if you don't want to watch a lot of ballet dancing you get one jazz number and one contemporary ballet number the rest is classical ballet if you don't want to spend 20 minutes of this two-hour movie watching just classical ballet and the rest of it people talking about ballet you're you're not going to be into it right there's um there's a very underrated aspect of this movie, and it makes me think of one of my favorite quotes from this movie is actually from my least favorite character. We'll get into that. Uh, but Eric, uh, who I think is just the most underwritten character and kind of like a bit cringy to look back at. But he has the line, I do ballet because it has nothing to do with the people. And that's kind of why I love ballet whenever I'm doing it, because like... Like you, I grew into a bit of a bunhead. I was a rebel tomboy turned ballerina. And something about it, I like that no one else understands it. I like, like, yes, there are problems with the fact that ballet is not considered accessible. Um, that's not something I will deny. But I also like that not everyone enjoys and understands this because it feels like a private relationship you have. Um, oh, yeah, that yeah. totally just gave me chills because <laughs> one of my favorite things to do when I was the obnoxious dance kid was, you know, take uh, any friend at school and put them in first position and just start correcting them. Yeah. And just and just start start at the bottom and be like, no, your heels need to be like this. Your toes need to be like this. No, you need to turn out from the hip. That means you need to squeeze your butt. And now we need to stack your ribs over your hips and you just go all the way up and, you're ha and, and they are shaking by the end of it. And it's yeah. like, yes, this is you standing. Ballet is really, really hard. And it's really important for me, for, for me 
that you understand how hard it is. But Mm -hmm. I also knew that it was impossible for a non-dancer to understand that. You are in your own universe when you're a dance kid. You leave, and you know, I didn't go to an art school. I certainly considered it, but I didn't go to an art school. So I would leave my, you know, mainstream high school, my public high school, and I'd go to dance and you enter this world where it's in the studio. That's all it is. And it's so important. Every single thing is important. And you're standing at the bar and you are sweating before you even start the first plie. Cause, and it's just, it, it, it was, it was so exciting to me how I, I loved how hard ballet was. My, um, my first ballet teacher was named Mrs. Blaze. I only know this because my mom <laughs> still tells this story. And I was four and I think I thought her name was Mrs. Blades, like a blade. Blaze. <laughs> and my mom said that she was like pretty tough and like pretty like what was the word like brusque brusque with the kids and like just like you know a bit like short with the kids and my mom said I just loved her I just loved her I would say she's a great old lady and I didn't start ballet exams till I was 11 uh, when I went to a studio that did exams and when I started ballet exams I was just so excited about the challenge. Like I liked ballet exams more than I liked competition, to be honest. I love performance, but the ballet exams, the technical element of it, the scientific element of it. I did RAD, as you said, RAD is a, a great program because it really is so technical. It's, 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 you're not, you get, you get deducted marks if you're flashy in your RAD exams. You need to mm-hmm. be very technically accurate. If you're putting your leg next to your ear or your foot next to your ear, but your hips are misaligned to get your foot there, then you're, then you're getting deducted points and get that foot down and get those hips in line. Um, it's it's so, so technical. And I love that about it. And it, you're right. It is like a private relationship because if you don't get it, you don't get it. And you, ju- you just can't explain it to someone, uh, mm-hmm. even if you put them in first position and spend an hour correcting them. <laughs> and, you know, talking about like even the contemporary aspects of Cooper's Ballet versus Jonathan's Ballet, what I also find really wonderful, and I've seen a lot of reviewers that seem to not think this, and I'm like, no, you watched this movie wrong. The movie doesn't have a stance on which type of ballet is better. The no, movie doesn't. does not poo-poo Jonathan's style of ballet, which like I think people really underestimate the work that it t- that goes into the choreographers for this movie creating not one but two original ballets because for those of you who are outside the world of ballet, like most student performances, like you can do original works, but most of them are repertory works. You're doing like, and yes, it costs money to license. Actually, no, dance, I don't think is, yeah, most dance except for Balanchine's work is public domain. Um, and so like you can you can restage your version of Romeo and Juliet. You can, that's why like so many youth dancers, they go to competition and for their points, so they'll do an established variation. They'll do Paquita. Uh, they'll do... Um, I'm trying to think of what some of my favorite variations are, Bluebird variation. Um, and they might do their versions of it, but um, creating an original work with ballet is hard. And so everything that goes into Jonathan's ballet, like, and it is so beautiful. And the fact that I, I think it's such a nice character touch that Eva, the quote unquote bad girl, she's the one who is most moved by classical ballet. And I don't know. I think like that's where the movie doesn't get credit enough for kind of subverting a lot of stereotypes. Eva's not the one who wants to break free of ballet traditions. She fucking loves ballet traditions. And you know, she says Jonathan, that's yeah. a great ballet, Jonathan. Yeah. In her in her last in her last scene with him. She says that's a great ballet, Jonathan. I had a blast today. Um no, Eva loves ballet. She's just impatient more than yeah. anything. 
So this is my favorite section. This talks about how this movie shaped our little brains, uh, you know, especially at the age at we at which we were when we watched this. So I have a few different uh, rabbit holes I went down. So we've hit on this point enough, but like I started taking ballet. That's a really important thing, which is funny because like I have asked myself, like, what does this movie say about ballet? And it kind of doesn't say anything about ballet. It doesn't take a firm stance on ballet. It besides like, ballet is hard and maybe like it's worth it if you love it make sure you love it and i don't think it needs to say anything groundbreaking about ballet like um i kind of the message that not only is it okay that maureen can't find happiness in ballet while others can i like that you know Emily is being pressured about her body, but instead of the unrealistic thing where they rally and try to get the school to change its ways, the more important thing is, let's get you out of this environment. Now, as I've gotten older and found that, like, this movie certainly sugarcoats some aspects, like, it's actually more demanding and the teachers are way nastier, but in terms of the spectrum of behaviors that it covers, it's a really fair depiction of pre-professional ballet. Very, very fair depiction of pre-professional ballet. And again, this movie is a documentary about ballet. Yes, it's a fiction. Mm-hmm. It's a fiction movie. It's not actually a documentary. But this movie is just it. There's, there's not, there's not really an opinion. To your point, it's just we're just going to look at this. We're just going to look at what this world is like, and we are not taking a stance on whether or not it should be different. Back to your point about Cooper and Jonathan. Cooper uh, takes a um, a benefactor who Jonathan is courting and gets her to fund his studio instead. No one in the, and and Jonathan's pissed off. No one is saying whether or not that should happen. That's just yeah. what happens. It's dance That's showbiz, in New York. baby. Like- That's showbiz, baby. <laughs> and, uh, and and it's just it's there's a lot of kind of neutrality to it. Yeah. Um which is really interesting and yeah, people get injured the day back to Eric. People get injured the day before the performance. I got my worst ever injury the day before my very first ballet exam. I was 11 years old and that was that was some trauma, babe. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, so it's just it's just these are the things that happen. Literally, you go to class hungover and you get kicked out of class because you're being you're being goofy and you're told to wash mirrors. Literally, yes. Yes, that has happened. That still happens. It's just all it's 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 this movie is essentially a, a series of vignettes. All of these vignettes are, are yes, that's, that is what happens in the dance world, whether it's at uh, ABA, ABC, National Ballet, or, you know, the, the studios that, that we grew up in and we talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so point number two, which um, I, I still love this about myself because I have a lot of boring normie opinions and boring normie interests. And one of them is that I love New York. Um, I went to New York for my honeymoon. Like I had no, we had no interest in going to a resort of any kind. Um, And I'm like, I want to go to New York because I've, every time I'd been to New York as a teenager was always with my dance group. Um, But this movie definitely kicked off an obsession with New York. And it's funny because most, like it is one of the most touristy depictions of New York I've ever seen. Um, Like, but when you think about it, that is kind of realistic about like, if you're going to um, a big city for a dance school, a lot of them are kind of touristy. Like we have an alumni from our studio or not alumni, I guess, because he's 16, um, who's right now studying at National Ballet in Toronto. And he's a kid from a small town where I live. And like, I was chatting to him the other day and he mentioned that he hasn't been to the Danforth. And I'm like, okay, so like, that's not even that far from National. And so I'm like, when you're a ballet student, you're not going anywhere. You are going to do the touristy thing. So it's cute that they're like riding, you know, riding in a limo through the streets of downtown New York, you know, it's, and, and, 
for sure the New York Jazz Class experience, um, which I don't know if they actually filmed on location at Broadway Dance Center, if it was somewhere close to it, but like I became obsessed with Broadway Dance Center and to like took classes there on my honeymoon. I was like, okay, honey, you go to Gulliver's Gate. I'm going to go take jazz class. Love it. I'm obsessed with New York. New York was mine and Mike's first trip together oh. way back in 2011. And uh, that's the last time we were there, which is insane. We've been dying to go back. We haven't been able to figure it out. We'll go eventually. I have like a family connection to New York. My 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 grandparents on my mom's side are from there. You know, like that old school Jewish New York people. Every time I meet a New York Jew, I'm like, you are my people. <laughs> and I don't know how to say this to you other than you are my people, which sometimes I just say. Um, New York is a, is a really, really special place. Uh Broadway, showbiz, bagels, coffee. Um, it's it's the blueprint of how a city should be set up with, you know, nobody drives except everybody drives and it's gridlock all the time, but you don't have to drive. You can walk through the whole thing. The streets are numbered. The, the transit system from when I've used it works brilliantly. New York was also the first trip that I took with my girlfriends when we were like 18. This is how nerdy I was. We went to, we, we went to New York specifically because Ray Fiennes was in a play. Ah! He, was in a play, he was in Faith Healer, which I don't remember anything about the play. I think it was called Faith Healer. Um, and we like did a PowerPoint presentation, like in Turning Red when she does the PowerPoint presentation to go to the concert. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. me. We did a PowerPoint presentation to our parents. We took an overnight bus there and an overnight bus back and stayed in a hostel. And it was like four girls and we were 18. And so, you know, my first trip with my girlfriends and my first trip with my now husband. Yeah, New York is really special. And oh, God, I got to get back there soon. (laughs) One day, one day. Gosh, I have not been to New York since pre-pandemic. But um, yeah, so... Here's a, here's one of the other rabbit holes for my brain. It's hard to go down a cast rabbit hole in this movie because a lot of the cast members were dancers first and actors second. Although, like, I love that Amanda Schul, who plays Jody, like, she went on to have a professional dance career. She was a principal dancer, I think, for the Hawaii Ballet, which is one wonderful. She's from Hawaii originally. Um, and then she um, she is now an actor, working as an actor again. She was on Suits for for years. So uh, good for her. Um, Lucille Booth, good for her, Dot Jeff. Um, but probably the this was probably the first movie in which I saw Peter Gallagher. And he is legitimately one of my favorite um, actors. Like um, the, the people that they cast who weren't dancers were incredibly well cast for the dance world. Donna Murphy is another one, um, also known as Doc Ock's wife in Spider-Man 2. Um, she, she and Gallagher have this gravitas about them that just screams dancer. And then like Susan May Pratt, who again, came up in our 10 things episode, cause that's like the only other thing she's been in. She's not a great actor, but also I knew a million Maureen's and the like weird kind of tentative look on her face all the time. The fact that she's a bitch, but she's also socially awkward. I, I like that. I like what she brings to it. Um, but yeah, I love Jonathan. And I have experiences before with teachers where you have a teacher or a choreographer like Jonathan who seems icky and he seems like a terrible person. And then you have Cooper who seems progressive and cool. And then as you get to know them, it's actually the opposite. And I think this, I mean, this has happened to me also in the corporate world with bosses and stuff. Like there's actually nothing evil about Jonathan, which the movie doesn't outright say, but I think like it's an intentional thing with the way he's written. You know, he is introduced with having had an affair with Kathleen Donahue. And so there's obviously a bit of an age gap there. But hey, they're married. It seems consensual. Um, you know, he's not letting Cooper choreograph for his company. And like, no one wants to say it. But like, if I were in the core of Cooper ba- Cooper's ballet, I would cry for months. Um, it's 
I don't want to say it's not a good ballet because that's subjective. But anyway, yeah, I think that um, Jonathan is way less of an egomaniac than Cooper. He's also pretty damn forgiving to Eva. Like, yes, he dates an employee, but it's a lot more above board than Cooper sleeping with a student who may or may not be underage because this movie is never clear about whether these are high school students or not. Correct. Jonathan and Kathleen's relationship is very mature. Like having watched, having watched this again for this, for this episode with this in mind, they're, they're married. Kathleen, like Cooper's not over Kathleen. Cooper's not really over anyone. He's clearly lonely. Kathleen is done with Cooper and Kathleen and Jonathan are just together and they are at peace with that. We hardly see them together. We mostly hear about it, but when we see them together, they're fine. And Mm -hmm. some of my favorite scenes are Kathleen teasing Cooper. Yeah. Um, They're hilarious. She's actually pretty great. Um, Yeah. uh, I'm I'm trying to think of what point I was going toward the Jody and Cooper relationship. It's like, (sighs) yeah, there's a lot there. I, it's really nice that she just, as soon as she sees him for what he is, she gets away from him. Like, you didn't yep. see a lot of that in teen comedies. You didn't see a lot of women standing up to the guy who's the asshole. Sure, she she's still employed by him. Mm-hmm. And she agrees to that. And that's a choice she makes. And that's often an impossible situation that artists are put in. Yes. And and so, yeah, a documentary about the dance world, I maintain. <laughs> Yeah, like a lot of people have said like that is an aspect of the movie that doesn't age well. Um, Also, to hit on the age thing, this is where being a kid who was obsessed with DVD commentaries comes in handy. Because Nicholas Heitner said that they intended to base uh, this off of um, American Ballet Theater, uh, obviously being a prestigious company. And American Ballet Theater does have the School of American Ballet Theater, which includes like a elementary and high school full-time program, as well as, um, and National Ballet in Canada has this as well, like a pre-college program. Uh, it's it's similar to taking a year of college and it's like the preparatory program because you're, you're 18, but maybe you're not ready to go out for a company yet. Um, I tell myself that that's where these students are because honestly, telling myself that Jody is 17 in this movie just makes me want to vomit. Um, 100%. Yeah. That's a really helpful way to to look at it. And that would make sense that like, it actually, it actually does narratively work. It's like, this is, they finished high school. They're all coming from different dance studios all over the place. Mm-hmm. This is a year of prep, of prep work fine he's eight she's 18 which means he's like 24 because he's a mid-career ballet dancer so he's 24 um which is it is what it is yeah and also it makes sense because why would we never see any younger students in the final workshop like um but yeah so finally this has gotten me thinking a lot about dance doubles and how, like I said, dance doubling in itself is an art. Um, there were a few, a few of the actors did their own dancing. I think uh, Amanda Schul did hers entirely. Sasha Rodetsky, obviously he's a dancer first. And uh, Ethan Stiefel, who was at the time considered the most uh, advanced mal- male ballet dancer in the world. I could watch him forever. And then you had some uh, dancers such as um, Ilya Kuluk, who plays uh, Sergei, and Zoe Saldana, who plays Eva, who had dance backgrounds, Ilya Kulik being a figure skater, but, you know, weren't obviously... Um, like company level ballet dancers. And so they didn't, ha- they were able to film a lot of their in class scenes, but then had dance doubles for the big stuff. Um, Aisha Ash from American Ballet Theater, um, who I think eventually became a principal. She was Eva's ballet double. Um, 
But it made me think a lot of Black Swan, which I maintain Black Swan is not a ballet movie. Like this, or people are like, I love when people are like, oh, you do ballet. Do you like Black Swan? I'm like, yes, but not because of ballet. Um, but um, I remember when Natalie Portman's Oscar campaign was really ramping up and there was kind of the controversy of the fact that they weren't acknowledging her dance double. And I, on one hand, I'm like, well, everyone knows she had a dance double, right? Like you, people don't seriously expect someone like Natalie Portman, who does not have significant dance training, to be able to do what her character does in that movie. Um, and yet, I also found it like this weird thing of they clearly weren't acknowledging her dance double because they thought it would look better for her to get the Oscar because like, oh, look at all that she learned. Of course, she didn't have a dance double. And it's like being able to like... I don't, you shouldn't expect an actor to be able to do that, you know? Like, of course she had a dance double. Like, who- We don't have the conversation about stunt yeah. doubles. Like, Tom Cruise is the is famously the only actor who's doing all of his own stunts, right? Yeah. So um, we don't expect actors to do their own stunts. It's, it's, a, it's a similar thing. I, I love that you brought this up because uh, I've been watching everything on my laptop these days because it's the easiest way to watch something while the baby sleeps on me in, a, in, mm-hmm. a, in the baby carrier. So I watched Center Stage on my laptop in preparation for this for the first time since, you know, I don't know, when was the last time I was watching movies on my laptop? University. Um, and it was the first time I actually noticed the dance doubles in Jonathan's Valley at the end. Yeah. It just, I it hadn't occurred to me. I just, I thought, I thought they had cast professional dancers across the board including Zoe Saldana Mm -hmm. and I thought that she this was like the end of her professional dance career and that she became the actor that we know and love her to be but no I noticed it because I was up close on a smaller screen and I was like oh obviously it's dance doubles this is a really 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 hard ballet this is a crazy it's it's a crazy ballet As, Mm. as Eva says that's a great ballet Jonathan um but and I and I just I just caught it in a few thought in a few shots and they did a very very good job. A lot of those like wide aerial shots uh, mm-hmm. that they do so so well make you just forget that that these aren't the actors doing the dancing. And this was before we had facial replacement technology, which like on one hand it does make it easier to do a, a movie like Black Swan. On an, on another hand, like I do worry as someone like. Look, I was never going to be a professional dancer to begin with, um, so it's not like it affects me personally, but it affects a lot of my kids who are legitimately vying for uh, dance careers of um, the day of the dance double is almost over or like you become a literal faceless body because someone else's face is going to get pasted over you and they're going to do everything they can to kind of bury your efforts. Um, Whereas I love that Aisha Ash, like they pointed out on the DVD commentary that they actually give her a shout out in the movie. Uh, she's a student in the in the classes as well. And Donna Murphy's character is complimenting her. She's like, oh, beautiful jete is Aisha. And they're like, oh yeah, that's actually Aisha Ash. She was Zoe Saldana's dance double. I'm like, oh, that's nice. She gets a shout out. <laughs> like, That's fantastic. Yeah. It makes me think of, I didn't expect to talk about Lord of the Rings as much, but that was naive of me. It makes me think <laughs> of um, the amazing Ring Wraith chase scene in Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of DVD commentary, how I know this, uh, the riding double. Um, Arwen's Liv Tyler's riding double and there's there's a whole sequence on that a whole segment on that in, in the behind the scenes and I was watching this at 13 and just fascinated and it was very very cool to kind of see this uh, incredible horseback rider this this Kiwi woman 
who was Arwen's riding double. And yes, there are a couple shots where if you are crazy like me and you pause the DVD and you squint and you look really, really closely, you can see that it's not Liv Tyler. And you know what? Who cares? Who cares? It is pretend. It is pretend. Dress up costumes, telling a story. It's a play. It's a movie. It's, it doesn't have to look 100% realistic every second, every time. To Um, bring up another dance movie from this era, watch Save the Last Dance. If you want to drive yourself crazy, I actually do not like that movie. Um, But watch the scene where they're dancing in the cafeteria and Sean Patrick Thomas goes down and he pops into a little split. The split second that you see the face of his dance double, his dance double looks like he's at least 50. It's really funny. I you know what? I that's this is why I hated Save the Last Dance is cuz the dance doubling was so bad. Well, it and was, it's so Sarah's, obvious. Like don't make it obvious. Well, and also that what I found crazy is could they not find a better dance double for Julia Styles because her dance double yes. wasn't even good. Yes, you you yes. fall out of you're telling me you can fall out of a double pirouette and get accepted on the spot for Juilliard. I've got to stop myself right now. <laughs> oh, oh, do we need to do a sequel to this in which we hate watch Save the Last Dance? I think we might need to. <laughs> oh, Hundo P. Hundo P, it's happening. <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned in your list about the, the filming of the dance. I'm super, I super want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, we've we've touched on this a little bit, but this this movie made me realize that if I'm gonna watch a dance movie, the dancing needs to be well filmed. And mm-hmm. Dancing is very, very, very often not well filmed. A really perfect example, if I am watching a tap dance number from 42nd Street being performed at the Tonys, why, why would you ever do even a single shot where I can't see their feet? Mm-hmm. And this is this has happened, maybe, maybe not at the Tonys, maybe sometimes, but, it, you know, uh, here's a better example. 42nd Street, the cast of 42nd Street is performing at Good Morning America. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. And they're doing and they're they're promoting Broadway, they're performing on Good Morning America. And half of the number, the camera person is filming them from the waist up. It is tap dance. You need to see their feet. This is useless. And so seeing really well every single dance sequence in this, every rehearsal, every performance is very well filmed. That part of that is the really good dance doubling. Um, and it's enjoyable when, you know, sometimes you have to zoom out and stay zoomed out and so you can see the whole stage and you can't really zoom in on the characters' faces and you can't really get that close to them and you can't have that much drama happening because it's actually just about the dance. And that's okay because this is a goddamn dance movie and we're here to watch some good dancing and let us see it. Don't, don't zoom in too much on different parts of their body unless, unless that it's, it's just much, much harder to do. Yeah. Um, a movie that I argue has really, really poorly filmed dancing is Flashdance. I don't like Flashdance. God, that I've seen th- Flashdance in at least ten years. <laughs> Same, honestly. But when I, you know, when I was just desperate to watch dance all the time mm-hmm. as a, as a teenager, you know, of course my mom suggested Flashdance and, and all this stuff, and I watched Flashdance, and there was just something about that number at the end where. I couldn't, there are moments where you can't see what she's doing, where you can't Mm -hmm. tell what she's doing. I really hated the slow-mo, the slow motion um, dive front roll that she does. I'm like, don't, that's another thing. Don't slow it down. Let me see what they're doing. Don't, don't add effects. Don't add slow motion. Don't speed things up unless that's like a specific choice and you're making a specific choice with a filming of a dance and that's, and that's the story that you're telling. But if you're just if you're just getting me to watch dance in a movie, just film it so I can see it. And the amount of times that that doesn't happen is extremely frustrating. So mm-hmm. this movie really, you know, the, the, the dance movies that I go back to this uh, center stage, dirty dancing, um, dirty dancing, the, the, 
there is drama that happens while they're performing, but they don't spend too much time on it. You zoom out, mm-hmm. you get to see them dancing again. Yeah. And I think with with this movie, definitely not with Dirty Dancing, but with this movie, I think that is where having a director whose background is more in live theater really comes in. It kind of reminds me of, this is going to sound like a really wacky comparison, but uh, the movie version of Room. Um, and Room, which started out as a, as a book. And so the book, like, I don't know if you've read the book version of Room. Um, I haven't read, nor have I seen it. So you know what, as <laughs> as a parent, it will probably make you way too sad. I am. Um, I am very emotionally fragile, um, which is why Mike and I watch things like Center Stage a lot, because uh, I only have so much capacity for um, stuff in media. So yeah, no, I haven't seen Room. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, that so that is a really interesting movie because the book, and I'm sure you know the plot of Room, but the book is written from the perspective of the child. And it's, it's difficult to read because... It is written the way a child's stream of consciousness is. Um, you can't capture that in a movie, so it is a little bit different, but it's shot almost like a play. It is shot almost like a minimally set play, and I find that um, a really, really good choice. It's also shot in Toronto, and you see a lot of Toronto street signs. You see, um, oh man, what's that hospital that's by Riverdale Park? Um Blue Point Health Center or whatever. The one by the old uh, Don Jail. Bridgepoint Health. Health. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you see the Don Jail in the background. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But yeah, like, so that's where I find like having that live theater touch is really important. Like you said, like sometimes there's a, a little close up and it's when their expression tells the story. Like I said, like Eva's expression when she's atop the uh, the lift and that beautiful circle around her, like, and you see how much she's living in them. That's one of the, my favorite shots. And also the music in it is like chilling. Um, a lot of Jody's expressions in Cooper's ballet. But then again, it is so all about the full body, the full experience, also seeing how tall the psych is behind them. Like that's such a wonderful thing about watching live ballet, which is another one of your wonderful rabbit hole points. Yeah. So I was watching this movie as a sort of tween teen becoming a teen. And one of my favorite things to watch, my my cousin was a professional ballet dancer and we had a VHS copy of her in the Nutcracker when she was Clara, uh, when she was like 16 and I would watch it over and over again. And as I mentioned, this movie opens with um, a series of uh, very well-known classical ballets that are performed at the, the fundraising gala um, for the, the school. And you see Romeo and Juliet and you see Swan Lake and... I would watch this movie over and over again. And I realized I just, all I wanted to do was watch ballets like that over and over mm. and over again. And so finally, I, you know, I was 13. I didn't have money to go to the ballet, but I would, <laughs> and my parents didn't have very much money to go to the ballet. But if they were like, what do you want for for Hanukkah or Christmas? I'd be like, I want to go see Swan Lake. I want to go see Sleeping Beauty. We live in Toronto. We have the Four Seasons Center. I think the Four Seasons Center opened around then. And so, you know, as a teenager here and there would just go to the ballet, like on purpose and go see it. And I haven't been to the ballet in ages now, but I'm so excited to go back to it and just experience it. And I, I think that we're so lucky and, and privileged to have it to, to be in a, in a ballet city in Toronto. And it's just mm-hmm. it's just right there. Can I ask, what is your favorite ballet? It's it's Sleeping Beauty. It's mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty that I think I think Disney has something to do with it because I think it's so beautiful that the Disney movie, the sort of one one of the songs, um, Once Upon a Dream, is composed over the Tchaikovsky Ballet. It's to the tune of the Tchaikovsky Ballet. 
And mm-hmm. so then you go and see, and of course, of course, I saw Sleeping Beauty, the Disney movie first. And then yeah. I saw the Tchaikovsky ballet after. But how amazing is it? And, and I love a waltz. I love a waltz. Mm-hmm. And that is a magnificent waltz. Um, obviously, Tchaikovsky was a genius. Hot take of the day. Yeah. Um, but the, the, I, 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 I don't know what the song is actually called other than Once Upon a Dream of the Disney movie. Um, but that, that song, look up Once Upon a Dream of the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sing it. Brie can sing. I can't. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that is, that is the tune of a beautiful waltz in Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty. And mm-hmm. Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty is just a, a really magnificent, um, ballet. And I've, I've seen it exactly once. Uh, many, many, many years ago. And I can't, oh, his name is escaping me, but Rex Harrington. Rex Harrington was at the end of his career in it and played like the king, you know? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't Rex Harrington playing the prince. It was probably Guillaume Cote or some up and comer at the time. Guillaume Cote Mm -hmm. is now the new Rex Harrington. Um, But but I remember Rex Harrington was in it and I was so excited to just see him on stage for like a minute as the king. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, yeah, it's Sleeping Beauty. My kind of like, my my boring normie opinion, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but is that like, I really, really love the Nutcracker. Um, yeah. Because I think the Nutcracker is one of those things that manages to bring ballet a little bit more to the masses. But also, and especially with a lot, what a lot of the uh, ballet companies have done lately with um, trying to, um, you know, offer less insanely insensitive portrayals of people of color in the in the dance. It, like, I don't know if you saw things like what the Calgary Ballet did with like the quote unquote Chinese dance and the Arabian dance. They turned it into like, the peppermint dance, the popcorn dance, the coffee dance, and it was so much more. Or the car, the the quote unquote Arabian dance was changed to the caramel dance, and I think that goes very well with the theme of what the Nutcracker is supposed to be about, which is childhood wonder. And I think it is one of the best depictions of an intangible concept brought to life, which is childhood wonder. That said, my legitimate favorite ballet, and this is my like, I'm a cool hipster. I don't like the traditions kind of take is I love The Little Prince. Um, I saw The Little Prince a few years ago with my husband at National Ballet. And I think it's just a wonderful example of contemporary ballet, obviously very male heavy. And um, I normally don't like stuff that's very solo forward, but I actually really did enjoy The Little Prince for that very reason. Um, if Even just the color schemes and stuff that they used, um, Little Prince will always have a special place in my heart. I um I saw James Kadelka's Nutcracker way too many times because James mm-hmm. Kadelka's Nutcracker came out wh- when I was a teenager, I think. And it's I this is so naive of me to say, but of course, of course he was choreographing. I don't I don't think there's cultural appropriation problems in James Kadelka's Nutcracker. Maybe there is, but I don't think there is. That's the one with the dancing bears. If you live in Toronto and you've seen the dancing <laughs> bears advertising the Nutcracker, that is James Kadelka's Nutcracker. It has run for like 20 years now. I, I think it's still running. I'm not sure. But I remember not liking it because it was just very like set heavy. I I, I actually didn't feel like there was enough dancing in it. It was like just mm-hmm. a very much like a spectacle. Um, but that's a very good point you raised that if you're going to do the Nutcracker, you need to find a way to modernize the really problematic parts of it. Um, but I, I did love watching the, the Nutcracker comes back every year for a reason. It's, it, it's a wonderful premise. It's a talent show, you know, why not have a talent show and go to the ballet and see a bunch of different t- uh, types of dance. Mm-hmm. So now on the topic of different types of dance, you mentioned Jody's drop-in jazz class. I think we have very similar feelings about this. 
Yeah, I I think about that scene all the time because again, I saw this when I was 12 and Jody was a, we've decided an 18-year-old. Yes. <laughs> so, a kid, young adult going to a dance class where they do a really good job of showing that everyone in the class is a lot older than her. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a drop-in class and you just go in and you dance and like I knew I knew conceptually that classes like this existed, but I had never taken one, I don't think. Maybe maybe here and there my dance friends and I had been like, "Let's go try this like hip hop class because this choreographer is in town. Maybe that was more of like a, like a pop-up or something. It wasn't really like, let's go down to city dance core and, and do contemporary together on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was 25, I suddenly realized that I live in Toronto, which is, has a million dance studios in it, that I work a job in which I am paid money and I could spend a little bit of that money, maybe 25 or so dollars to go and take a dance class and like Mm -hmm. that took a long time for my brain to figure out and I was like 25 and I started going to to city dance core in Toronto and I would do contemporary uh I'd also go to the place at Broadview and Danforth um which the metro movement I I lived by metro movement or wait joy of dance joy of dance Dance. yes yes but I've been to both and yeah this is the thing it's like there's there are studios for adults to go and dance at in Toronto, this is my chance to plug the Pink Studio at Woodbine and Danforth. They have beginner adult dance classes of every type. If you are an adult who has never danced and you live in Toronto, check out the Pink Studio. They have something for you. Okay. Um, yes. But it every time I went and and took a drop-in whatever class, I would think of Jody taking that, that jazz class because it just... Again, it's hard to explain if you didn't grow up in it. But when you are in the dance world as a kid, you you go into the studio and that is your entire world. And then you graduate from high school and it's gone. (laughs) And it was really heartbreaking that it was gone. None of us wanted to stop dancing. We just didn't necessarily want to dance full time in college or university. So I would take, you know, I went to U of T. I would take classes at U of T here and there, which I really enjoyed. And then I was finished at U of T. And then it took me several years to figure out that, like, I can just sign up and go and dance and I really I think of Jody every single time and what I think is great and very very accurate about the depiction of that class is like you said Jody's obviously much younger than everyone in that class but how she looks around and everyone's just kind of casual everyone's dressed differently you know they they make show they make sure that you know they show shots of people like oh they're eating burgers they're all casual but it's that no one in these classes knows knows you or cares about you and it's the most freeing thing because one of the things about being a young dancer is you do get your psyche so tied up in other people's opinions of you other people's impressions of you you're still living down something you did in class 3 years ago or whatever and there's a wonderful, wonderful feeling being a young dancer, going to drop-in classes for the first time, and the freedom of no one really knowing you. And then, you know, like, I have I have also gone to drop-ins where over the months you do get to know the people and stuff, but then someone new comes in and you get to see them experience that as well of, oh my gosh, I'm anonymous here and this is great. And the community is so much more open. Like, And it's not, like, I don't necessarily buy into the stereotype that dancers are exclusive by nature or exclusionary by nature. Um, I think that's, or I think it's no different than any other sport or any other group activity. Um, But I think drop-in classes as an adult really are the first time that you experience like outsiders regularly coming in and going out. And so you can't have that elite circle anymore. And it's totally different. Um, It's a total shift in your mindset as a dancer when you think about community. Totally. And one of my favorite things is, 
I, again, I haven't been to a drop and dance class since in like five years, like since I had, since I had kids, but, um, I will go back one day, but you know, I would, atta- I would occasionally go to, uh, Christopher Knowles, who's a wonderful choreographer. I would sort of stalk him. Oh, I used to take Chris's class. Yay. I love him. Well, we gotta go together at some point. <laughs> um, and I would just sort of stalk him from, from studio to studio and, you know, mm-hmm. follow him on Instagram. And I, I just sort of come in and, and he would come and give me a big hug. Like you eventually get to know the teachers and they're delighted to see that you're just kind of following them around the city because yeah. you just want you just want their choreography and not another teacher's and so there's that aspect of the community too is that you can like you know I would I went to one contemporary class I think three weeks in a row was was my Mm -hmm. longest streak like I was never going religiously every week um and by the third week like I knew three people in the class I ran into a former person I went to high school with um who just the dance world is tiny as well is the other thing you know the uh, there were there were two people in my grade who were dancers one of them was Jody who I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast the other one was uh, a lovely woman named Emma and Every time I go to a dance class, I'd run into Emma because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're dancers in Toronto and we want to take a class. Yeah, we're going to run into each other. It is it is a tiny world. So there is a community aspect, but it's but it's not exclusive. Um, and by the time like we're all adults, we're all adults just going to a fitness class. Like it's not yeah. <laughs> that big a deal. We just show up and we go and uh, you leave really, really, really sore. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Especially at our age. percent. Yeah. That's the other thing. I'm increasingly feeling like being being 34, almost 34 and being in these dance classes because like now in Toronto, you go to drop ins and there are 16 year olds. And I I always I hate to say I privately refer to them as the fetuses. Like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm surrounded (laughs) by literal fetuses. Um, Like, yeah, you know what? You won't be able to get your leg up here someday either, hon. Like, I would never actually say that to someone, but I am kind of thinking it. I can't lie. It, It was incredible how quickly that happened to me. It's like I went into the classes and I was 26 and 25 or 26 so I was like I I felt like I was on the older end and there were you know teenagers 18 year olds in their early 20s in there and then I suddenly start going in at 29 and somebody's in there and they're 21 and I'm like I'm sorry I thought this class was for 16 and up. Are you allowed to be in here? You are 12. Um, so the next time I the next time I go to a class at 35 or 36, I know what I'm going into. I'm just going to hold my breath and do it and do my best and go home. Because again, we are all adults just taking a fitness class. It's not a big deal. Yes. yes. So um, big thing that I'm doing with this podcast is talking about like the modern equivalent. And by modern, I, I tend to look at everything as 2016 or later. But I would also say like, I think a year that's sticking out in my head for some reason is 2013, because I find 2013 was the year that we all collectively replaced our DVD collections with Netflix. Um, you know, for at least in Canada, that's when Netflix really took off. That's when Netflix got original programming. And that's when, uh, you know, Amazon Prime and stuff started to hit. Um, and so I consider like the last 10 years to be the quote unquote modern era of movies. So is there a piece of media that is equivalent? And for me, there does seem to be far less interest in the whole Elite Academy set teen or tween movie. And I'm not counting things like Dance Moms because that's quote unquote reality TV. Um, I also think an important part of Center Stage is that they're young adults. It's a young adult movie. It's not a kid's movie. Um, Even dance stuff aside, like stuff about teens or young adults in close quarters pursuing passions, like I would maybe go for the pitch perfect movies, but they're a little too cutesy. They lack the self-serious because center stage is so self-serious. It takes itself very seriously, which is part of why it's cringe, but it's, it's lovable cringe. Um, this doesn't fall into 2013 or later, but I would recommend the 2011 documentary First Position if you're looking at something that discusses the intensity required for pre-professional ballet. Although I personally think First Position, it does kind of like center stage. It's a little sanitized. It's a little bit of a rosy outlook. You mainly just see the success, but then I, I will go for the aforementioned, uh, mentioned, this came up in last week's episode, 
Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Like, yes, it's a goofy Disney movie and very tweeny, but there's a lot in there that goes into the sacrifice that is needed for elite sports at a young age and how much of life you miss out on. Um, and that's one thing that I think that series did, despite being a Disney series, did very well. The only modern equivalent I could think of is a show that no one watched called Tiny Pretty Things. I'd never heard of this show. You should watch it. Okay. Uh, it's really bad. The dancing is really good. It is elite ballet academy a la center stage, but true crime. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. so, so there's a there's a murder mystery that needs to be solved. Wait, have you talked um, about this on Twitter before? Because I feel like I've seen someone mention this. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, the soundtrack, I, I like. I still listen to the soundtrack from the show. It's wonderful. I need to watch it again. I don't at all remember what happens. The acting is appalling. The dancing is incredible. <laughs> It is filmed in Toronto, and it's filmed in Toronto, like, in the Royal Conservatory of Music, in Hart oh. House and U of T, in the National Ballet of Canada. So, like, the the dorms You just named live, some of my favorite buildings. <laughs> right? It is that... So that part is so fun. They walk around Roy Thompson Hall a bunch. Like, Roy Thompson Hall is used as an, as an exterior a bunch. Um, so it's, like, the dorms that they live in look like they are in University College and U of T. And I went to U of T, and I was a dancer. So I'm like, this is just candy. An important <laughs> note... I am talking about the show Tiny Pretty Things. There is a new show called Tiny Beautiful Things. I have no idea what it's about, but it stars Katherine Hahn. Not, oh, not well, then that tiny, might be good. Yeah. It might be, but yeah. Tiny Beautiful Things is one show, and Tiny Pretty Things is a different show, um, which is its own conversation. Okay. <laughs> so we've made it to the <laughs> lightning round. Maybe for Tales from the Rec Room, I'm going to get an actual soundboard where I can do my shock jock voice, though. <laughs> <laughs> I in the meantime, we have to deal with my bad, like, Police Academy-level sound effects. Um, okay, so um, we have the official center stage lightning round. First question, which ballet would you rather be in, Cooper's or Jonathan's? Okay, it's Cooper's, but you're right, being in the core would be a nightmare. <laughs> yes. I I am still going to go for Jonathan's um, because I love the music. I really, really love the music in it. And the costumes as well. The costumes are very elegant. They are. Um, okay, which dancer character do you identify most with? I have to be boring and say Jody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had poor turnout. I had bad feet. And boy, did I have the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the note, I never got notes on my performance. I had the face. I had the smile. I was the musical theater kid. Um, and it was, you know, my teachers would lament. I wish I could take so-and-so's technique and put Rachel's face on her and I'd have the perfect answer. The perfect answer does not exist. Uh, yes. I'm also Eva crying watching the Romeo and Juliet uh, pas de deux. So I was Eva meets Jody. I had the like need to always be questioning my dance teacher and testing them, which is definitely Eva. But I'll say I didn't have the talent to back it up. Um, you know, it, it like I don't talk about this a lot because it's a really hard thing for me to talk about emotionally. But it took me so long to come into my own as a dancer, and I feel like that's why I didn't stop at eighteen. I kept dancing almost as much as I did in high school when I was in university, as much as it almost killed me. Um, because it's like I'm just starting to get good. I am just fine. And like again, I started late, so it took a while for things to click. That's also, I think, why, frankly. Um, unlike I think there were eighteen seniors in my last year, like in on my senior team. 
three of us are still involved in dance. That's it. And you, yeah. you do come to expect that, but like, it's kind of crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh, your whole life was dance. And now you like haven't set foot in a studio in years. Like what? Um, specifically, actually one of the uh, kids who was in my senior group, he, not kids anymore, he's 31 year old man. He owns View Dance Challenge, which is one of the best, in my opinion, best Canadian dance competitions. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Every, every, almost every former dancer I talk to wants to go back to it. Yeah. It's just a question of how and when and where and uh, and what I say to them and what I say to you, dear listener, if you are a former dancer who wants to go back to to dance is you just go to a class. You mm. just go to a class and you just fumble your way through it and it's going to shock you how hard it is and uh, you're going to love it. Maybe. Yeah. And if you don't love it, don't go back. All right. So talking about modernizing, we're recasting this movie for 2023. And I'll say, let's pretend all these actors can dance. So who do you cast in some of the main roles? Okay. I think it's Zac Efron as Cooper. We need Zac Efron in this movie. Um, <laughs> and he and, can dance pretty well. And he can dance. And he's so charismatic. And he'd be like that charming, kind of sleazy Cooper, I think would be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a David Diggs as Jonathan. Um, Jonathan needs to be incredibly charismatic. Peter Gallagher is very difficult to recast. I went to mm-hmm. David Diggs. Jody is tough. It's topical. It's Little Mermaid. I'm thinking Halle Bailey. Um, you just need someone who's a bit, who's just got that like really kind of innocent looking face, I yeah. think. Uh, so that's all I could think of. Um, she's all I could think of. I was thinking of Maureen. You need kind of like an it girl for Maureen. And I don't know who the it girls are right now, but I think Ashley Park could be a bit of a Maureen. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Holland needs to be in this because he's a dancer. Yeah. So cast him as Sergei. He is 27, uh, but he still looks like 17. He looks like a baby. Yeah. yeah. And get Debbie Allen in this movie. <laughs> Debbie Allen would be the woman that Sergei picks up at the club. We were not um, in the one. <laughs> and then maybe we just get a Zendaya cameo in there as Galena at the end, just yes. to have fun. Uh, I think we have one person play Emily and Anna because they are interchangeable characters to me. Um, Sadie Sink, maybe. Somebody like that. Just Can I- some... Some woman who plays Emily and Anna together and just like, whatever. Can I just say Anna is one of my favorite characters because of the way she's like, she's not a bad guy. She's not an enemy, but she just kind of sits there like kind of, co- she's a very Shakespearean character. She just kind of snippily comments on everything. She is the ballerina. And like when she gets in and oh, what actually one of my favorite scenes is when, uh, this is one of my favorite choices overall, is Aunt, the, the ballet that Anna stars in that we never see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We only see her about to go on stage. And it's so beautifully done. You just see her yeah. look back, reach back, get into character, and she leaves the curtain and we never see yeah. it. It's, oh, it's magnificent. Yeah. Um, and we don't re- recast Zoe Saldana. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... I also had Tom Holland as Sergey, um, which is also something about Tom Holland. Something about him looks like a like an alien who just landed on the planet and is learning English for the first time. And the, the fact that Sergey has like some you know pronunciation issues and stuff, I feel like Tom Holland could sell that. So I think I found the quality that you mentioned for Jody when you said Halle Bailey. Another. Um, uh, young actress who does have a dance background is Rachel Naomi Hilson. Uh, if you know her, she is um, she's a young black actress. She played the um, teen version of um, uh, gosh, why is her name escaping me? Beth from uh, This Is Us. And so a big and a big part of her uh, her story is not only like feeling left out, you know, being the only black dancer at her school, but also being a dancer who you know 
has the heart and has the love of performance. But as she gets older, she realizes that she is not quite there at the other level. So I think she would be a great Jody because she does have that very sweet kind of innocent, soft quality to her. Um, for Eva, I'm going to give a shout out again to, uh, to the Lisa Naves Dance Company, uh, Devin Nakoda, who um, most people would know from her recent turn in the newest Scream movie. Um, Devin uh, played the uh, love interest of one of the Meeks children, uh, and uh, she unfortunately met her untimely end in, in Scream. But Devin Nakoda is from Norfolk County, Ontario, and she trained at LNDC. So obviously I never trained her because I only have been teaching there for the last like two years or year and a half. But um, she is a fabulous dancer, fabulous performer. And I think like because of how cool and like edgy her style is in Scream, I can totally see her being the Eva. And then you want like it girl, you want kind of like hoity-toity, I think, actually, uh, speaking of the aforementioned dance moms, Maddie Ziegler as Maureen, um, you know, and she, I know there's some questions as to whether or not she can act. Please, dear listeners, watch The Fallout. The Fallout is fantastic, and she is fantastic in it, particularly at playing a very detached and damaged person um, and capturing, again, what I said about Maureen is she's kind of a bitch, but she's also socially awkward, and I think that's what Maddie Ziegler brings. Um, like I said, uh, Tom Holland as Sergey. Um, so another This Is Us connection, and he's not a dancer, but I feel like he's definitely got the vibes. Uh, Asante Black as Charlie. He's got that very like the it's when Charlie's walking out of the men's class and he gives them a little like nod, like that's that's Asante Black's vibe. Um, not to be um not to be like a gay character has to or a gay actor has to play a gay character, but uh Noah Schnapp as Eric. And like I said, it sucks that I don't like the character of Eric. I just think when you have when you have a dance movie, of course you have to have a gay character. When your only gay character comes on the screen and says, like my stage name is Eric O. Jones after Oprah. She's my idol. Like, there are campy gay guys like that in ballet, but I would appreciate then if you also had other gay guys who are not like that because it then screams more like a joke on gay people than anything. Uh, very quickly, although he might be a little bit too old, Lucas Hedges as Jim. I love Lucas Hedges. I think he's such a normie cutie. And then for our uh, kind of grown-up roles, Nev Campbell as Juliet Simone. People forget Nev Campbell, ballerina. Um... Uh, Kathleen Donahue, uh, recent Oscar winner, Ariana DeBose. She was actually a finalist on So You Think. She was in Hamilton, and then she had a wonderful turn in uh, West Side Story. Um, here's uh, something that I don't... Uh, he's probably around the same age as Peter Gallagher. Mads Mikkelsen. He's a dancer. He's a fantastic dancer, gymnast. He's wonderful. And then while he might be a little too old, Channing Tatum as Cooper. You've got the charisma down with those characters, so that could totally Absolutely. work. <laughs> Absolutely. So this has come up a lot online. Um, the whole, if you were to Muppet this movie, who stays human? So who stays human for you? It's Peter Gallagher. It's Jonathan. <laughs> there's it, no no question. Just pick picture it and there's no alternative. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. Um, it's hard for me to think of anything that would top that. I would, however, say that like I would love to see human Sergei dancing with a like mess of a Muppet old lady in uh uh in the club scene. Or, like I said, the way that Anna is so removed from everything, I would just love to see this self-assured kind of prima ballerina surrounded by little Muppets. <laughs> Both of them are, you know. It's not ensemble movie, but like they're not main characters; they're supporting characters. But they're incredibly yeah. charismatic and memorable. So yeah. you just kind of, you know, you just you just kind of surround them with Muppets, and it could totally work. Yeah. So who's the worst character? I had a hard time with this. 
um, because every character is necessary to this movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's Maureen's mom. Um, Maureen's mom is, again, who I don't want to become. I don't want to, uh, not just with dance, I don't want to be a parent who throws all of my hopes and dreams and assumptions and just projects them onto my child without ever taking a second to listen to them or even ask them if they agree with what I'm saying. And that's actually like something that you have to consciously not do as a parent, you know, Um, and it can be incredibly damaging to varying degrees. Our children are who they are. They like what they like. They dislike what they dislike. They're good at what they're good at. They're not good at what they're not good at. All we can do is guide them and support them. And so Maureen's mom is a perfect example of the exact type of parent I never, ever want to be, uh, even though I have enrolled my child in ballet. Um, and uh, so so she's the worst character, but she's a necessary character. You can't have this movie without a Maureen's mom. Mm-hmm. So I went for characters in terms of like, um, who was poorly written. Uh, and obviously, I was gonna say Eric, but I feel like I've ragged on him enough. And uh, I will say at least Shaquem Evans is adorable in this movie. And I like that you at least give him some other people to play off of, you know, the, the scene with him and Jody in his dorm room, or not Jody, him and Eva in his dorm room is so sweet. And you just like, you see that this is a young man who like has finally found his people in ballet. And, and also the pain that he's going through of being injured before his final performance it's completely unrealistic that he gets a part in the company but um whatever um and the the gallivanting through new york is for eric's birthday that's what they did for eric everyone loves eric you're right though there needed to be more gay people in this movie because it's the dance world come on yeah when you when you have only one gay character who just literally says i name myself after oprah it's like have you met a gay person there, there are, yeah. Um, but no, I would actually say that I think the most kind of underwritten character is Sergei. He's kind of there to be the quote unquote like funny foreigner uh, stereotype. I do love his scene with the old lady. I just think like unlike Eric, he doesn't get that nice scene with anyone else. He doesn't really have any tenderness to him. Um, you know, like the fact that Sergei's known for being one of the best male dancers, that's kind of all we know about him. And so there's, it's kind of like, Sergei, what are you bringing to this group? Sergei, we need to talk about your place in this group. What do you bring to it? <laughs> Um, all right, so which song in this movie is the best earworm? It's The Way You Make Me Feel and It's Higher Ground. Those are two of my favorite songs, I think, ever. I know Michael Jackson is extremely problematic. The Way You Make Me Feel slaps. The video uh, is terrible. It's The video is just him harassing a woman. Um, but that song, that song is such an earworm and Higher Ground as well. I will say, though, that my grade eight tap number was to Cosmic Girl, and it's because we begged our tap teacher to choreograph to Cosmic Girl because all we were listening to was a center stage soundtrack. So um, so Cosmic Girl gets a shout out for the grade eight tap number, but it's it's the way you make me feel on higher ground. Um, yeah, I think my my boring Nori opinion is Canned Heat. And uh, I think like there are two types of people. There are two types of millennials. You either remember Canned Heat as the Napoleon Dynamite dance, or you remember Canned Heat as the center stage dance. Um, Higher Ground is up there. I will actually give a shout out to the end credit song, which is We're Dancing by PYT, because that was the song that was a uh, the finale dance for my very first dance recital when I was 12 years old. And it like, so when I hear that cheesy, cheesy little pop song, I cry. I really do. Because, it's a great yeah. song. And also, again, shout out to drop in adult dance classes. It is the best warm-up song. You've probably used it for a warm-up, right? It is such a perfect Um, warm-up song. I haven't, but I've used Candy by Mandy Moore. Okay. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. So what is an absolutely iconic outfit or look in this movie? 
it was so fun to watch this movie with this lens because I was not, I had never done it before. When they go out um, and Jody tells, uh, Jody tells, what's this? The actor is Sasha. What's his character's name? Sasha. Oh, uh, Coop. No, not Cooper. Jesus Christ. The other guy. Charlie. 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 Too when many Jody C's. tells Charlie that he has sweet sweat when she's drunk. Um, the outfit that she's wearing when she tells Charlie that he has sweet sweat. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like perfect 2000s. It's a little yeah. floral skirt. It's a little pink tank top. Her hair is half up. It's pr- actually probably a skirt now that I think about it because they're doing like lifts and stuff at the club and she doesn't have yeah. to like worry about the fact that she's wearing a skirt. Um, and it is an outfit that is completely 100% I think in style with the children now because we have come full circle with fashion. Yeah. Um, it, oh, for sure. I love that the quote unquote going out top, like that nomenclature has been revived. Yes. Um, I was at um, I was at a vintage shop in Oshawa a few weeks ago. Um, surprisingly, downtown Oshawa, great vintage scene. Um, and there was a pink Susie Shear top, which rem- first of all, nothing screams 2001 like Susie Shear. But like, all right. Yeah, it just it. To me, it reminded me of the clothes that are worn in this movie. For me, I'm going to go with a dance class look, and that is Josie's very simple cami black bodysuit and the um, burgundy jazz pants that she wears. I have a pair of burgundy leggings, but I really want to find a fit and flare pair of burgundy leggings because that was what I wanted to look like when I started taking jazz, including with the jazz boot uh, style jazz shoe. You can totally find a pair of pants like that now, Brie, because yeah. that cut is back and burgundy is everywhere right now. You might have to settle on mauve. There's a lot more mauve yes. than burgundy right now, but you can you can find they're out there. I believe it. Hell them. yeah, brother. All right. So what is a mo- oh wait, I I I almost skipped over question A, but we already know the answer to this, which is center stage or save the last dance. We know the answer. It's center yeah. stage. Save the last dance. The dancing's not good enough in it. The dancing's not good enough, and like I said in last week's episode, I have only ever liked Julia Stiles as either Cat Stratford or in the new Orphan uh, prequel. I tend to not. She's she's a little charmless, uh, and and to be fair, that's part of her vibe is that she is a, ve- a very serious face. Um, she's not the fun girl. She's not the perky girl, but as as such, it's really difficult for me to feel sorry for her character. Whereas. Jody tugs at your heartstrings and yeah. like and and also there what like you said it's kind of a series of vignettes center stage and it shows the various different journeys one takes through dance you see Jody's journey as someone who's not a good technician but you see Eva's journey as someone who needs to like calm down and be patient you see Maureen's journey as someone who learns that dance is not for her whereas there's ver- there's one very specific and singular tale told in Save the Last Dance and if you can't identify with it and I hope you can identify with it because honestly, um, the fact that like I just can't get past it in that movie. What the lesson that Sarah learns is like, I should like, I shouldn't have. Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. I shouldn't have been so upset about like white women, uh, you know, invading, enroaching on our territory and using their whiteness to, um, you know, interlope in our communities. Like the fact that Carrie Washington's character had to apologize ruins that movie. The layers of problems in that movie are mm-hmm. all the way down. Problems all the way down. Yes, all the way down. So what is a, mo- a moment in this movie that gives you a full body cringe? There are so many, but it's when Jupy, when Jupy, that's what their, that's what their couple <laughs> name would have been. When Jody, <laughs> when Jody surprises Cooper at his performance, it just breaks your heart. Yeah. She's 18. She thinks because she spent the night, he's her boyfriend now, which like, yeah, mm-hmm. we've all been there, I think. Um, and uh, and she surprises him and he, you know, gives her the cold shoulder. 
full body cringe. And then you get the kind of satisfaction of Kathleen, you know, oh, you're in big trouble talking through her teeth, which I know was ADR, but it doesn't matter. It's so well done. We um, all tried to do it. We all yes, tried to she's do a it. heartbeat away from tattooing her name, your name on her ass. Like, oh, the whole, that whole sequence it's only the dancing that gets me through that sequence, the amazing dancing that Cooper and Kathleen are doing. Um, everything about Jody being there just makes it's a, it's a full body cringe the whole time. Mm-hmm. I, I have an, a, almost the exact same scene and I, I always forget which one is first, but I think this scene comes first because after the performances, when Jody realizes that Cooper is, is not her, not her guy, when she brings him the cookies yeah. and what, because like you said, I think Cooper's kind of ex relationship with Kathleen is a fun little dynamic in, in this movie. And the way uh, she just teases him and goes, oh, they're for next time. Like, She's like, I know what you did, motherfucker. Um, but like, it's the fact that Josie does not realize at the time that she looks foolish that that makes me feel so bad for her. And like, because it's like, you know that if this character were a real person, she would go back and replay this moment in her mind and be so angry at herself. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. So, and I will add that both of these guys are still working in ballet, Sasha Radetsky or Ethan Stiefel. It's Sasha because I was obsessed with Charlie uh, mm-hmm. as a teenager. Um, so the Charlie type was never my type, I will say. Um, I have always liked, you know, the... I mean, I I also... One thing I, I'm only kind of realizing now in this movie is that this movie really downplays how good Sasha Radetsky is. You don't get to see him a lot. And because most of the scenes with his big dancing, he's splitting it with uh, with Ethan Stiefel, he gets drowned out. Because Ethan Stiefel is the most advanced male ballet dancer in the world. Um, Sasha Radetsky gets a little lost in it. He's a wonderful, wonderful ballet dancer. Um, one of my old students, Rebecca, she got to meet and take class with both of them a few years ago. And Ethan Stiefel now, um, has a big walrus mustache and long, beautiful blonde hair about down to his shoulders. He looks great, but he's, you know, he's an an eclectic guy with eclectic, uh, looks. Whereas Sasha Radetsky still looks like himself. Like, he still looks like Charlie, but yeah, my type has always been the Ethan Stiefel type. He's a fabulous dancer and a fabulous performer. And when Charlie spends the first little bit of Cooper's ballet walking and standing and clapping and counting, Mm -hmm. my whole body is screaming for him because I'm like, how dare Cooper do this to you? This yeah. this performance is an audition and you're not dancing. You're standing there like, good thing you're a shoo-in for the company, Charlie. Because yeah. this sucks for you. It you're does. standing there wearing eyeliner, clapping and counting and not dancing. Nightmare. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you want a big dance scene? I'm going to give you a dance battle against me. How is that fair? After we already did the dance battle in the uh, yeah. in the studio. One Which, of my favorite scenes. That is a cross between full body cringe and also full body sploosh. Um, so, yeah. So to conclude our thoughts on Center Stage, we need to determine a couple things. So let's say you're watching this for the first time in 2023, in your 30s. What aspects of this movie do you think have and haven't aged well? Um, or like a warning or a disclaimer to new audiences uh, who might be more discerning than we ever were? The smoking. Oh my God, the smoking. Uh, we meet 
Maureen and Eva because Eva is lighting up a cigarette in their shared dorm room. And Maureen is like, please smoke outside. And Eva's like, you're a bitch. And I think we, the <laughs> audience, are supposed to think Maureen is a bitch. And it's like, no, that is extremely reasonable. Um, yeah. The smoking, they're smoking at the club when they go out. Uh, just, yeah, the smoking um, mm-hmm. really doesn't age well. There is something about the way Jim goes after Maureen. I like them as a couple when they end up together, mm-hmm. but he kind of harasses her as she's oh, leaving yeah. the gala. And she turns him down many times. And then he is calling her school all day because and asking for her. And then he's waiting outside. Um, I mean, he's lucky that his name is Jim Gordon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Commissioner Jim Gordon, um, and that he's like charming enough to be like, "Hey, all I want is a date," and then you know they date, and we forget that this is how they got together. But mm-hmm. that does not hold up. Like he is just fully harassing Maureen, and she repeatedly turns him down, and they end up great together. But it's like, man, man, <laughs> Oy yeah, yeah. I, I. <sighs> Because there are some aspects of this that I think, like, it's not, I think some would identify as, oh, this hasn't aged well. Like, I see a lot of people, once again, identifying the fact that Jody kind of forgives Cooper as, oh, that hasn't aged well. And like you said, this happens in the arts world. It shouldn't happen, but it does. And, like, all Jody and Cooper did was consensually, asterisk, sleep together. Um, you know, there's fucked up power dynamics, but, you know, as far as no, she's 18, she's 18, she's 18. Um, and yeah, like, it's not like, it, it could have been a worse situation and artists deal with worse. So that is an element that I think other people would identify as this hasn't aged well. And I, whereas I would say, like, this actually is incredibly accurate. And I think a lot of movies today, like I was saying with Kyle in last week's episode, um, feel this need to kind of apologize for those uh, for those things. So I like the unapologeticness of it. Um, a- another thing that I think actually has aged very well is, again, the fact that your rebel dancer um, it actually loves classical ballet. And it- it's not lost on me that this is a black dancer. You know, if anything, I would like to see in recast. You know, we talked about recasting, um, you know, Devin Dakota, like, let's bring in an Asian actress to play Eva. Let's bring in a black actress to be Josie. But the fact, or Jody, the, the fact is, though, that ballet is an incredibly white world. And so, yes, it, like, I go back and forth thinking, is it a bit problematic that your one quote unquote rebel dancer is your one black female dancer? Yes, a little. But at least. You have, like, it's subverting the stereotype that she loves classical ballet. She does not long for contemporary. She's not, like, a hip-hop girl who wants to break free. She fucking loves the traditional elements of ballet. And so I think that, to me, is an aspect that that has aged particularly well. It would be, like, again, I'd rather a more diverse cast, but I think Eva is a great character and a character that's still very much, like, I don't see characters like her in these types of movies. There's an essay to be written about the, (laughs) to argue the only way that Eva could get the prima ballerina role was for Maureen to give it to her. Yeah. Because when did we get uh, Misty Copeland? It was, she was the first black principal dancer of the American Mm -hmm. ballet. And it was certainly after center stage like maybe 10 years ago yeah exactly so there's there's a lot going on there and as with everything with this movie it's not a should or shouldn't it's just an observation it's just a it's just a, a plot point 
But Maureen gives her role to Eva and Eva is just as good a dancer as Maureen and in some ways better because she can perform. She's got the technique and she can perform. Um, and the only way that she gets that role is, is for the, the, the white woman to give it up to her. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that can be analyzed in that. Yeah. So let's say you're settling in for a good old physical media marathon. What are two other movies from or around this era that you would watch? Uh, it's Lord of the Rings, which I've talked about a lot. Um, the other one is embarrassing because it doesn't hold up, but it's uh, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I loved that movie. I still have the DVD somewhere. Um, there's so much about it that has aged horribly. Like pretty much everything about it has aged horribly. Um, but I just, I loved the swashbuckling and, uh, you know, I loved, I loved the Orlando Bloom of it. Um, and it was just, it was an entertaining as hell movie that I may never watch again. Mm -hmm. So for me, and I think I might have mentioned this a few times last week, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is certainly far more of a comedy, um, in, and it is a quote-unquote documentary, it's a mockumentary, um, but um, I'll say it's a subversion of Center Stage because it's like, okay, now we're going to go look at the untalented teenagers in Minnesota, um, but it's really enjoyable, and you get to see a lot of, before they were famous, you get to see a young Brittany Murphy, I mean, post-Clueless, so she was already famous, but um, it's the very first film role of Amy Adams, and you get to see her her arms look amazing in that movie doing a sweet back walk over to go Amy Adams. Cause she was a cheerleader. Um, and like the whole, like this seems ridiculous, but this is actually how ruthless these worlds are. And then, um, you know, like I said, I do have a weakness for some softy Disney movies. Um, a movie that no one my age remembers, even though it was totally directed at maybe myself and people a little younger, but Ice Princess from 2004, Michelle Trachtenberg figure skating movie, uh, Hidden Pensier is also in it. It's such a sweet little movie. And again, like you have the element of Kim Cattrall plays her figure skating coach. She 100% betrays this, this skater uh, in order to get her daughter uh, a better score. And Michelle Trachtenberg still goes back to working with this coach, even though this coach is a little underhanded, because it's like, that's skating, baby. Like, that's how it is. I don't know if I've ever seen it, but I can see the cover of it in my mind's eye. Yeah. Ice Princess was on the shelves of my friend's DVD collections, yeah. for sure. It's on Disney+. Plus. I would say next time a uh, tiny little baby has fallen asleep on you, uh, it's a good little quick 90 minute watch um okay lastly if you like center stage what are some other pieces of media from this area not era not just movies but maybe some albums or tv shows that people should check out i'm gonna cheat because i need to talk about stepping out stepping out is not of this era it's from 1991 i mean close enough <laughs> close it's enough center stage is closer to 1991 than it is to 2023 yes it is significantly yes. closer um like twice as close um so stepping out is a movie that stars liza minnelli it's like a low budget movie it's about a bunch of beginner adult tap dancers who are getting together in a church basement just to take tap class for fun uh once a week and then they end up having to rehearse for a show it's another movie that you can argue is a sports movie it holds up incredibly well i was obsessed with it as a kid and the only copy i had was like a recorded from tv with the commercials in it um you know, we tape we taped it on on the on the TV, and that tape was like falling apart. I now like own it on what do you call it now? I call it iTunes, but it's not called iTunes. I own it on like Apple, whatever transactional VOD. Yeah, I owe it on I own it on that on the transactional yeah. VOD. I own a digital copy because <laughs> now that we can just buy movies for like five dollars, um, I bought it and I can just watch it when I want. So it's it's uh, it's stepping out, um, and then what the OC. 
you can rewatch the OC for a lot of Peter Gallagher of the same era. Uh, Mike and I were watching a little bit of it, of it before the baby was born. Um, and it's, it's a fun soap opera. It takes you back if you watched it in high school to the, just this, this teen, this teen drama that was very, very uh, heavy. It absolutely was heavy. I always think of, um, of Marissa's death scene to Hallelujah and just like, again, the self-seriousness of it all. But like, that's the thing is we need a return of these teen movies and TV shows that took themselves way too seriously. Like, because teens do. Don't you yes. remember being a teen? Everything's the biggest deal in the world. Because like now you have like the self-serious stuff like Euphoria and stuff, but it's depicting stuff that is more gritty and stuff. Like I far prefer the heightened melodrama, I guess, um, which is going to come up on next week's episode. Spoiler alert, it's Clone High. Um, but uh, yeah, so for me, it's, it's actually funny because you're talking about Peter Gallagher from this era. The other... Thing I can think of that is Peter Gallagher from this era is not something that people should be rewatching, which is American Beauty. Um, I I have complicated feelings about American Beauty because I do think, aside from the whole KS of it all, it it's it's a movie that I think will be remembered as much worse than it is because of that. But Peter Gallagher is great in it. Um, so I went for an album that I think people should check out, which is Mandy Moore's first album, So Real. Um, in the Peak Show episode about pop divas, really talk about how like Mandy Moore absolutely got the raw deal when it came to um, pop artists that were pushed out. And this movie, like we didn't talk about this at all, but this movie was Mandy Moore's record label really trying to push her out. She has a couple songs on the soundtrack and she was of the pop divas of the era. She was the sweet one. She was the Jodie Sawyer. And um, I think like that's a brand of music that isn't getting made again. Um, and then I would also say for TV um, and, uh, you know, watch this extra legally, um, the first season of So You Think You Can Dance, which is so different from the other seasons. The first season, like the semifinal rounds are actually like four days of classes in studio and you get yeah. to see like them with small groups and stuff and just it's one of those things that kind of fetishizes the intensity of dance a little bit, but it's like, and I love the way the teachers are just getting annoyed with all the personalities and stuff. I love that shit. Like, I am yeah. going to take you up. That's what I'm going to take you up on for sure is rewatching yeah. the first season of So You Think You Could Dance. Cause speaking about, I loved your, your Pikachu episode of So You Think You Could Dance. I just inhaled Yay. it. Speaking, speaking mm -hmm. of a show that made us feel seen, it was like, finally, yes, this is our world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that recommendation. I will take you up on it for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, all right. So, oh, oh, and sorry, I will also say, because you can actually appreciate this. What is astounding is seeing people get put through to like the Vegas, or I think it was the LA rounds at that, who couldn't do a double pirouette. Yeah, like, I remember. I, I remember yeah. there was some. I, I, just, I, like, I, the standards were so low. Yeah, I remember because they, they hadn't figured out. Now we're doing a side, so you can dance sidebar. They hadn't figured out if they were looking for technique or if they were looking for tricks or if they were looking for hip hop or if they were looking for someone who had never trained before, but could do some break dancing. They had yep. no idea what they were looking for. So I remember the technique just being all over the place, which made it just impossible to like compare another dancer to another. You got to You got to pick a lane people. Mm -hmm. um, yes. I very much remember that. And I remember screaming about it with my dance friends and screaming at the TV. Yeah. And so this is like, to bring it back to center stage, that's one of the nice things is like, we're not watching a reality show of people kind of floundering about. We're watching 
legitimately good dancing and it's such a celebration of the art of dance and that's why like I don't my love for this movie is not ironic it's not like it was when I was 11 or I was like trying to hide that I liked it because it was too dorky like this movie is a wonderful celebration of ballet and I would recommend that anyone who is even curious about ballet watch this movie it's a wonderful little movie there's a podcast episode this is very niche um from a podcast network called Game Gamefully Unemployed. They have a podcast called We Just Watched. And one of the episodes of We Just Watched is We Just Watched Center Stage. And Mike happened to sponsor them to watch Center Stage for my birthday a few years ago. And it's wonderful. So there's a podcast in which two writers who know nothing about dance, they're, they're, they're like screenwriters and journalists and movie critics, watch Center Stage and react to it. And they say... I feel so seen. This is what it's like to be an artist. Sometimes you love it. Sometimes you hate it. Sometimes you grow out of it. There's only so much room for some of you. So if like, if two, they used to write for Cracked, if you remember the glory days of Cracked. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, again, this is very niche, but two people who know absolutely nothing about the dance world they were delighted when they watched center stage. The, I, I have listened to their, their, uh, we just watched podcast episode of it like five times because I just delight in hearing these two, you know, men in their late thirties talk about how seen they feel by this teen ballet dramedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, give center stage a watch. It, it is, it is entertaining as hell and it's from the year 2000. So it's under two hours. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you for being uh, here with us on the second episode of Tales from the Rec Room. If you want to get once again, plug where we can find you and read your thoughts. Now's the time. Rachel GBK, rachelgbk.com, rachelgbk.substack.com. That got longer and longer each time. It, it, did, it did. It's like a little staircase. Um, <laughs> as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde, and you can find me online at prune underscore underscore Tracy or follow this podcast at Rec Room Tales on Twitter. So new episodes are coming out Thursdays during the summer, and you can join us back in the Rec Room next week. We're getting to TV town once again with a little guy that Rachel knows named Mike Stevens for Clone High. Who? They, Who? Uh, some, some guy, some short guy. <laughs> oh, that was mean. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.